Look at these three words written larger than the rest, with a special pride never written before or since. Tall words proudly saying, We the people. Welcome to the Lex Rex Institute podcast. I'm your host, David Truchel. Now you say your part, or I can say it You're for you. You're supposed to say the lead writer for the Lex Rex Institute, Yeah, David. you've been complaining about how long this section takes. I was trying to do a little editing, but uh, you know, oh, whatever. Oh, well, then I didn't know that my part was supposed to come in. Well, that's why, you know, the pause, the pregnant pause. Oh, well, I'm your co-host, Alexander Haberbush. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Before we begin, <laughs> please note that nothing in this podcast constitutes legal advice. He is an attorney, but he won't be speaking as one today. And some other stuff, like uh, this is about law, not about politics. Learn the difference. All that stuff. We've well, done this a thousand times before. Well, so is that, uh, I, I think last we spoke, we were going to put up a poll on whether or not you wanted to have an etymology section of this podcast. Have you seen the results on that yet, David? Well, uh, I thought you were joking, so I didn't <laughs> do that. But having oh, learned today that well. you weren't joking, I just put it up. So unless something goes wrong, people I see there's already a yes vote. <laughs> oh, did you do that? Uh, I guess uh, I... No, I can't. It appears I can't vote on this. Okay. Well, let me Although, go... then, now I can. Now I can. Let me go register my All right, no there are two vote. yes votes now. As, uh, as discussed, I will be voting no. Um, so let me do that real quick before this gets out of hand and uh, people won't vote no because they think that the writing's on the wall. Need to prevent that from happening. And just for those who are not aware, etymology is different from entomology. This is not going to be a section about insects. It's going to be a section about words and their origins. Oh, I can't vote no. I assume because I created the poll. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> I think you probably can. I think you have to switch your account from Lex Rex Institute to David, right? At the top right of the page. That's what I had to do. Oh, yeah. There you go. There you go. Yeah. I thought I thought that it worked a little differently since it wasn't like the main page, but apparently. All right. So but anyway, my no vote has been registered. Uh, so currently two to one. Yeah. Hopefully uh, they find you some extra ballots at 2 a.m. Well, uh, they can sway the tide for you. All right. I was going to go with a very different kind of, you know, get out the vote joke. But you <laughs> you you went in that direction and that's OK, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> anyway, before we get completely into the program. I've been waiting to tell you about this because it just happened on my way home today from the university. I encountered another excessively French individual, but of, really? a, very, of a very different type this time. It was a young man walking with a, a, a girl, I assume was his girlfriend or wife or something. Anyway, last time around, I mentioned that the guy, you know, sort of wearing a beret, waxed mustache, smoking a cigarette, that kind of a French guy like you might see in, I don't know, you know, a, 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 an early uh, new wave film or something. In this case, much more sort of like a French punk type, uh, wearing like an overcoat, but with combat boots and a satchel over the shoulder and oh. a, a ponytail that came to about mid back. And yeah, just it, it, I didn't realize that the old alliance between Scotland and France still ran so strong that I. You, you met a genuine Euro trash person, it sounds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyway, uh, not, not really much more to that story. I heard him speaking as well, how I know he's French or possibly Belgian, but we'll set that well, up. I'm glad somebody something. like that was able to find a significant other that shares <laughs> his interests. That's, that's good. You know, good for that person. Yeah. Anyway, with that out of the way, um, that little snapshot of life in Scotland, I guess. Well, we got a couple of things to talk about tonight. One Do of we? which, Yep. One of which, and <laughs> we'll get into that next. 
I'm that, laughing because we, we actually had probably a 10 minute conversation before this podcast where we said, what the heck are we going to talk about? Yeah. Well, <laughs> we have an answer. A while back, we talked about this law when it was originally drafted and then originally challenged in court. But the Texas social media law that we talked about a few months back, House Bill 20 in Texas, has been upheld by the Fifth Circuit Court. Not necessarily the final word. It could still go to the Supreme Court. Probably will, to be honest. But Circuit Court has weighed in. And they've found in favor of Texas, basically. So you may remember that this law had to do with preventing large social media companies. That's an important part of this. It's not any random service provider. It has to be of a significant size. I forget exactly how they define that. I think so many hundreds of thousands or millions of users or possibly revenue. I don't remember. Um, you botch count. <laughs> uh, thank you, Mr. Musk. Anyway, so the, the law would impose certain conditions on large social media companies. However, that's defined in the bill to be very transparent about the way they go about moderating posts, the statistics around their moderation of posts. They would have to make reports about like, oh, we got this many comments reported. We actually deleted or suspended or, you know, did whatever on this many of them. Now, They're, now, we, we talked on this show about the Florida law. Yeah. It sounds like it did something similar. And we'll put a link to that episode in our description. Yeah. But was this Texas law substantially the same as that? It's certainly in what it's aiming at, I would say. I don't think that the sort of schema for imposing penalties was exactly the same. And I actually, I think in this case, at least the opinion of the court made it sound as though it was really after injunctive relief rather than damages. Hmm. You know, I'm, I'm guessing there's probably damages somewhere in the bill, but it seems like that was de-emphasized at least. Well, I think that was true in Florida as well. I think the, well, the, the Florida law seemed to be targeted, not exclusively, but certainly predominantly at uh, candidates for office and yeah, not censoring and, those candidates. Right. I don't think imposed, that's true with this Texas one. No. And in the Florida case, it imposed pretty hefty fines for people who did, you know, as it defines it, sort of de-platform political candidates, like tens of thousands of dollars per day, I think, was the, the penalty. Yeah, they're not going to pay that. No. <laughs> it's not It's not even clear that Florida courts would have jurisdiction over those social media companies. Yeah, and so we'll, we'll probably get into that in a minute, the jurisdiction issue of it. But probably the most obvious feature about this ruling, to my mind anyway, and you can you know share your thoughts on it in a minute, is that they came out very plainly, very clearly, explicitly said, yes, large social media companies are common carriers. We talked about that previously, but common carrier, you know, something like, you know, parcel delivery or mass transit, things where basically it's just there to serve. Trains. Yeah. Planes. That, that's the reason why airlines are federally regulated. You know, the reason right. why an airline has to, well, well, here's a good one. The, the reason why they used to be required to allow those Hare Krishna guys to proselytize in airports was because airlines were common carriers. So they couldn't prohibit hmm. people from expressing religious beliefs, you know, free exercise of their religion in airports because they were subject to First Amendment protections, the way that a private company, a purely private company, would not be. Yeah. So they're basically treated as a quasi-state actor because they're a common carrier. Obviously, now that we have TSA, all the post-9-11 stuff that's in effect, that's kind of caused that to evaporate because people aren't, aren't congregating in the parts of the airports, you're not in the parts of the airports very long where you could actually go without having an airline ticket. So right. that's a different <laughs> issue. But they could technically yeah. still be there. There's just not really any reason to. When you could be like at the, 
the ticket encounter, I guess, or in front of the ticket encounter. <laughs> yeah, although they'd probably say that you're blocking like a public thoroughfare if you did that. So I, I don't yeah. know. But. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So, <laughs> so if, if you're older than like 30, you'd probably remember that. If not, then sorry. I don't, nothing on the t- top of my mind that comes to mind about what you might know at an airline. To... Yeah. But so, so the upshot was Texas was arguing that companies like Twitter and Facebook should be treated as common carriers, meaning they would be, you know, required to sort of maintain viewpoint neutrality, basically. They couldn't, right. they couldn't edit posts or arguably manipulate the algorithms that you can't see posts. So can't engage in viewpoint difficult. censorship. Yeah. Yeah, that's the, broadly speaking, can't censor viewpoints they don't like. Yeah, based based specifically on the content of the post. You know, with, with exceptions for things that would run afoul of obscenity laws or, you know, otherwise be illegal for other reasons. Sure. But, Fighting anyway, words. Yeah, sure. And as you, as <laughs> Clear you and present danger, you know, uh, <laughs> stuff like that. It's, if, yeah. if you don't know what the limitations on free speech are, go ahead and check out our Ask an Attorney video from last week featuring my sister, Vanessa Haberbush, yeah. on, on fighting words and other, other things that, you know, may technically be free speech, but you're certainly going to be held accountable for those right. things. If you do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Basically, a, an industry group representing a lot of these tech companies banded together to challenge the saying, no. We are not common carriers. We are private companies. We're entitled to First Amendment expression, just like anybody else, including editorial viewpoint expression. And and just to be very clear, the Supreme Court has never recognized that social media companies are common carriers. Justice Clarence Thomas, about a year ago, kind of intimated in one of his, I think it was the opinion that he wrote on a petition for cert, actually, I'm forgetting which case, but kind of intimated that the court may go that direction with social media companies. They have not done that to date. Mm-hmm. So as it stands currently, every jurisdiction in the United States, every federal jurisdiction in the United States, social media companies are not regarded as common carriers. Yep. So as you mentioned, sorry, we, we had to take a bit of a break there because of some loud sirens in the background. So apologies if this is a little disjointed, but you were just saying Supreme Court has never recognized social media companies as common carriers. That didn't seem to put off the Fifth Circuit Court too much. They, you know, they don't make it the exclusive basis of the judgment, but the decision does say, uh, and I'm quoting, our decision is still further reinforced by the common carrier doctrine, which vests the Texas legislature with the power to prevent the platforms from discriminating against Texas users. Yeah, further reinforced is, is putting it mildly, I would say. I, I, I think they have trouble reaching the conclusion they do without recourse to common carrier doctrine. That was my impression, certainly. Yeah. And, you know, it, it seems that much depends whether you, you take that in one direction or the other, because the, the opinion is full of, you know, statements about what the platforms are trying to ask us for is actually a right to censor, not a right to speech. Right. Which th- those arguments really, those beg the question. Yeah. If social media companies are not common carriers. So big question, begging. we've talked about that before. Yeah. That means basically reasoning in a circle where your premise is the same thing as your conclusion. Well, the only way that you know, curating content on a social media platform, the only way that would constitute censorship rather than speech would be if it's not actually that platform's speech that we're talking about, but right. the user's speech that we're talking about. And the only way, in my mind, that actually becomes a relevant consideration, the way that we start talking about the user's speech instead of the platform's, is if they're a common carrier. Yeah, because the, yeah, because a common carrier, the service they're providing is just the transit, basically. It's a carrying, way of transmitting people. 
yeah. or thoughts or ideas exactly. or items, whatever so, it is. So they're taking your words and they're putting it somewhere else, namely on the internet. And other than that, they're not involved. They don't offer services. That's what the right. common carrier model would mean for them. And in that case, any, yeah, any interference they make would be, you know, or at least could be conceived of as censorship. Now, there is, so on the other side of things, there is Supreme Court precedent basically saying words of the effect of more speech is better than less. Yeah. We ought to encourage more speech. So I, I would say that there is some argument, you know, something to be said for the censorship versus speech thing, even if they aren't a common carrier, just because what they're doing by nature is limiting the amount of speech on their platform. Now, I think there's obvious limitations to that more speech is better than less doctrine. Anybody who's been to a party with a guy who just insults everybody and says a bunch of offensive stuff the entire time knows full well that they would have been better <laughs> off if that guy had said less, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, more speech better than less may be a general maxim, but it's not something that's gonna be dispositive in a case, right? You're not gonna find in favor of one party or the other just because more speech is coming from one side. I think yeah. that's kind of an absurdity. And that's not really what the court does here, but I, I would say that there is something to be said for that side of the argument, even absent the common carrier doctrine. Yeah. And, you know, as I think we discussed at the time this issue first came up, you know, there may be good reason to consider social media companies to be common carriers. I certainly don't feel strong in my opinions about it. I don't know enough about that. But, you know, if on the far side, though, that is the, the you know, the decision that comes down, that would obviously change things significantly. But well, you want to know my opinion on it? Sure. And that's why I'm here, right? Give legal yeah, opinions exactly. and whatnot. <laughs> I, I think that it, it very well might be the case that certain social media companies function as or behave as common carriers and therefore ought to be treated as common carriers. I don't think that's a numbers thing. I don't think the mere fact that a social media company has a certain number of users means they're inherently acting as a common carrier. Okay. I think it's going to be based on the way that they behave. You know, well, look, look at Facebook as an example. People use Facebook for company pages. You know, we use it for our company page. We have a big presence on Facebook. People use Facebook to plan birthday parties. You know, they'll have like events on Facebook. You can invite all your friends to your events. Yeah. Uh, they use it to post family pictures, pictures from vacation, stuff like that. That to me suggests people are using this to coordinate social activities in which they are already engaged prior to going on the internet. Even if the internet didn't exist, People would still do this same basic stuff. They would just do it less efficiently, right? They might yeah. do it person to person. They might do it by mail. Uh, they might do it by phone calls, whatever. It's the same stuff they're doing on Facebook. Facebook is facilitating those kinds of interactions. That to me is the sort of thing that a common carrier does. Now, on the other hand, look at TikTok. Now, I don't really understand what TikTok is. I know the kids like to use it. Uh, <laughs> it seems kind of, kind of dumb. But I, I guess it's kind of, you just record pictures on your phone and you send them to all your friends. Well, videos, now, but yeah. Yeah, videos, sorry. Now, debatably, you may disagree on this, that's fine. But the point I'm really making is this stuff is up for debate. It's not something that ought to be decided purely on a numbers thing. So debatably, TikTok is creating actually a new social activity people weren't doing previously. Yeah. You know, it, it's when you make these videos, you put cat ears on yourself, you put filters <laughs> on them, you have these transitions, so on and so forth. That's creating a new service that didn't previously exist with ways of, of facilitating friends interacting on this stuff that is new. You know, that that's not it's a product more than just a way of facilitating human interaction and communication that was pre-existing. Now, that's I'm not saying that's the case. I'm saying that's debatable. 
Yeah. You could make that argument. And I'm sure there's a variety of other social media platforms. You, know, you could argue that something like eBay is a social media platform because you buy stuff, you leave seller feedback, the seller leaves buyer feedback. You know, those are social media components to that. Is eBay providing a product that is more than just facilitating commerce in people or things? I don't know. It's debatable. But my only point here is it's certainly not a numbers-based determination. It's a fact-based determination. Yeah, I think that that makes sense. Like, you know, are you providing anything other than just sort of a channel for information to pass through, or is what you're doing actually contributing something new to it? And I think, yeah, I I think certain platforms, that is the case, as, you know, TikTok, I think, was a good example, because it sort of tends to incubate, as as near as I can tell, I'm a millennial, I'm not one of these Zoomer kids, I don't really get TikTok either, but it sure seems like, people are relying on the features to actually change what they would have been doing as opposed to something like Facebook, where if you post a video, it's probably just a video you took on your phone, didn't edit and upload it. Um, that's at least what seems to be the trend to me. Right. Yeah. And, and see, see here, actually, even the opinion itself, the, the opinion of the Fifth Circuit issue that we're talking about says the common carrier doctrine is a body of common law dating back long before the founding. It vests states with the power to impose non-discrimination obligations on communication and transportation providers that hold themselves out to serve all members of the public without individualized bargaining. I would say that's a very limited description of what constitutes a common carrier. So obviously... What uh, what the court does here is it focuses, and this is this has been the focus of a lot of jurisprudence pertaining to common carriers. But they focus on the fact that common carriers hold themselves open to the general public rather than negotiating with people on an individualized basis. So what that's focusing on is common carrier as opposed to contract carrier. So with yeah. a contract carrier, you're going to be drawing up an individualized contract with that company such that you now have privity of contract with that person. So, you know, whatever the terms of that contract are, bind both parties. If that's true, then obviously whatever that carrier is undertaking is going to be that carrier's own speech, not your speech. Is sort of where this division comes from. As the common law has evolved on the subject of common carriers and people like telecom companies have been included in it, I think even things like uh, amusement park rides, like Disneyland rides, have been included Hmm. in common carriers because, you know, you all just line up in a line, you don't have individualized contracts, and you jump on the ride. If you get injured on the ride, well, then that wasn't an injury under your contract. That's an injury in which they're regarded as a common carrier. Okay, so here's what what the... uh, the judge actually has to say about common carriers. What they say is, by the time of the American founding, the duty to serve had crystallized into a key tenet of the common law. English courts applied this principle to numerous, quote-unquote, common callings, like stagecoaches, barges, gristmills, and innkeepers. And he cites Blackstone for that. Now, looking at that section in Blackstone, I'm actually familiar with it. He mentions basically the duty of innkeepers to safely keep people's property. Like if you leave a horse with an innkeeper, they have to make sure that it's safely held until you come back. That's what he's sort of talking about there. Anyway, judge goes on. He says, for example, Blackstone explained that an innkeeper, I'm sorry, that a public innkeeper offers an implied engagement to entertain all persons who travel that way. And upon this universal, a sumptuate and action on the case will lie against him for damages if he, without good reason, refuses to admit a traveler. In other words, because it's implicitly held open for all There's an action for damages if he refuses to admit a traveler for whatever particular circumstances may be true about that traveler. 
Mm-hmm. Sir Matthew Hale explained regarding wharfs, when a private person builds only a wharf in a port, the wharf and crane and other conveniences are affected with a public interest and they cease to be juris privati only. In other words, they aren't private property, they aren't the, the realm of private property only. Mm-hmm. The common law thus required a wharf owner to serve the public and not to impose discriminatory unreasonable rates. So, you know, I, I think that this judge sort of, I don't want to be too critical of him, but it's, it's sort of an unwieldy opinion. It's not terribly well organized. And I think that he's not properly identifying the legal issues at play here. Because the issue with these social media companies isn't just whether they will admit any kind of person to use their platform. Yeah. It's whether once that person has used the platform, they will continue to use that platform consistently with the terms of agreement the platform has imposed. Now, as far as I know, no social media platform, maybe that maybe I'm wrong here, maybe some have, but as far as I know, no social media platform has kicked somebody off for things they said extrinsically to that platform. You know, maybe somebody went out into the public square and they shouted obscenities at everybody. I don't think that that happens and Twitter says, you know, we're not gonna allow you on the website anymore. I think typically they kick you off for things that you say on Twitter. Yeah. Which is where these analogies from the old common law you know, about innkeepers, wharf keepers, so on and so forth, fundamentally don't work. Yeah, because, you know, it seems to me like the analogy would be closer to you went to an inn and you got in bed with your muddy boots still on and they were like, hey, don't do that. Get out of here. Like, rather yeah. than they saw you with muddy boots and they were like, no, you can't come in at all. Yeah, or may- exactly. Yeah, that's exactly right. Or, or maybe someone's just sort of an obnoxious loudmouth. And that person yeah. comes to the inn, asks for a room, innkeeper gives him a room, and the person goes up to his room and immediately starts shouting through the very thin walls, disrupting the sleep of all the other people who are staying at that inn. Yeah. Pretty sure that person's going to get kicked out. They're not getting kicked out because they're an obnoxious loudmouth. They're getting kicked out because they violated an implicit term of staying at that inn. Yeah. Now, what I'm, I'm, what I'm not saying, people may hear me saying this, but I'm not saying this. Uh, I'm not saying that social media companies do have a right to impose whatever their terms of service may be. I'm merely talking about problems in applying the common carrier doctrine. Yeah. Yeah, that, which, as we've mentioned, is not the only issue. It would certainly probably clarify parts of the argument, but it, yeah, it, resolving that question doesn't necessarily resolve the entire issue. There was one thing I noticed in this opinion, and it just struck me as like, so off base that I feel like I must be missing something. So maybe you can help clarify this for me. I think it's just wrong, but maybe maybe there's something important I'm missing. The judge who, who wrote the opinion argued that if we grant the logic that the social media companies who are challenging this law follow, then, quote, Email providers, mobile phone companies, and banks could cancel the accounts of anyone who sends an email, makes a phone call, or spends money in support of a disfavored political party. So in other words, Bank of America could be like, we see that you donated to the Democrats or donated to the Republicans, and we don't like yeah, that. Sure, sure. So cancel the account. That just seems very Yeah, except that what they're wrong. ignoring here is that banks are bound by whatever contract terms they put in place when you open that account. Yeah. Uh, and if there aren't contract terms saying that your account can be canceled for certain kinds of expressions, then your account can't be canceled. I'd also say the difference is that social media companies do nothing but republish speech. Yeah. Right? I mean, bank accounts, you keep your money in a bank account. Your money can be speech, but your money has many other uses as well. 
Social media companies do nothing but republish speech. So what they're arguing is they have a direct interest in terms of how they run their business in policing the content that's published. I'm not saying whether I agree or disagree with that. Sorry, what, David? I just said that's interesting. I hadn't considered that, but you're right. Yeah, you know, your your business is what people will see when they go to your website. You're right. That doesn't, you know, sort of dispose of of the issue, but that's, that's important to consider, I think. Yeah, well, and I think that, you know, that's probably both the strongest argument for regarding social media companies as common carriers and also the strongest argument against regarding Mm. social media companies as common carriers. Because if all they're doing is republishing speech people have already made, well, that sounds a lot like a common carrier. You know, they're kept open to everybody, regardless of what what your individual terms of contract are with them. And all they do is just move something from one place to another. In this case, you know, from my computer screen to your computer screen. Yeah. That sounds like a common carrier to me, right? I mean, that sounds like the sort of thing that a common carrier does. It's also the strongest argument against regarding them as common carriers because their entire business model is picking and choosing which things to republish, which things to prioritize, which things the algorithm is going to say are important versus which things are going to say are unimportant. You know, debatably, the only difference between Facebook and Twitter is that algorithm, prioritizing content, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean there are Yeah, there's differences but, in terms yeah. of what you can publish and what what the format allows you to put up but functionally speaking the difference is in what you're shown right me as a user of one of those platforms what accounts for the difference of what i see when i pull open that app or pull up that website is that algorithm so that's the service that's being provided is censorship essentially right because mm-hmm. we're showing people some ideas and we're not showing them others yeah you know it's it's like i have a right to free passage between states right like i can go to nevada i can go to arizona i can go to wisconsin i can go wherever right yeah if i go to an airline and i get on an airplane that's headed for the atlanta airport my rights are not being violated that it doesn't take me to wisconsin yeah that's the service that it's providing is taking you to one place and not another place the service that Facebook, Twitter, all the rest of them are providing is showing you some content and not other content. So I would say, you know, where the common carrier argument succeeds is in the requirement for transparency in what what the algorithms do on these mm-hmm. websites, how they pick which content they're going to censor and which content they're not going to censor. I think where it fails is insofar as it targets the entire business model of these companies. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because... If Twitter were nothing but people posting pictures of their cat's litter box, right? Probably not a lot of people want to use Twitter at that point, right? You know, not everyone wants yeah. to, to see that. So you might introduce a, a rule saying, hey, no more pictures of litter boxes, guys. Come on. Well, Twitter wants to prioritize stuff that people find interesting. Yeah. You know, they want that stuff to go higher up in people's, do they call it a news feed on that? I don't know. That's what um, they call it on Facebook. I forget what they call Timeline. Timelines. Yeah. 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 They want they want the interesting stuff to be republished, posted more times than stuff that is less interesting. That is inherently discriminatory. Yeah. Yeah. That's also the business model. Yeah. So anyway, that's we should probably move on from this. But, you know, think it is an interesting case in terms of, you know, some questions that come up. And I think it's very likely to end up before the Supreme Court. You know, I basically don't see a situation where this doesn't end up. Getting some kind Event. of yeah, I mean, once yeah. you get a circuit split, so once you get another circuit saying they're not common carriers, I think this inevitably ends up in front of the Supreme Court. Yeah, so we will probably have occasion at least one more time to come back to this. 
but for now. And Florida is in a different circuit. So depending Mm -hmm. how that one comes out, I think likely this is going to get in front of the Supreme Court in the near future. Yeah. All right. So the other thing that I wanted to talk about in particular, not because this is a, you know, necessarily like a current issue. It's just something I keep seeing crop up now in the news very frequently. Sort of one of those things where the, the media narrative around a story actually sort of is the story, but people keep talking about this crisis of public faith in the Supreme Court and you know, what are we going to do about the legitimacy of the court if it's not perceived as as trustworthy by the public? One of the things that keeps coming up in this context is the idea that we can restore faith in the court by, among other things, and I'll get into this in a second because this drives me crazy because they almost always say imposing term limits on the Supreme Court. Now, that irritates me because what they actually mean is just imposing terms, A term limit is a a limit to the number of terms you can serve. Like there's a term limit of two for the president. The term is four years. So that's just, that's me nitpicking, but it drives me crazy. I keep saying that over the time. They want a term for the Supreme Court. Anyway, so next time you hear someone talk about wanting term limits for the Supreme Court, you get to feel like a smart person and tell them, no, what you're talking about is terms. Um, But yeah. Well, I think the reason they do that, the reason they put the the conversation that way is the term limits tend to be popular for whatever reason. I think they're not a great idea, even in Congress, because uh, what you end up doing is you give a great deal of power to unelected bureaucrats, since they're the only permanent people in yeah. government, uh, where if a legislator's doing a good job, you should want to keep them in. Yeah. You know, that that's sort of the reason why we have people reelected. I know there's a huge incumbent advantage. Let's do something about the incumbent advantage rather than just saying, you know, throw the good out with the bad, baby out with the bathwater. But the reason they, they refer to it as term limits with the Supreme Court is I think they're trying to bias the conversation. You know, we we have limited terms to everybody else. Why wouldn't we want it for the Supreme Court? Well, I think there's any number of reasons for that, one of which we've talked about a great deal on this show, which is that we do not want the Supreme Court to become another political branch yeah. of government. And that's, I think, the number one problem I have with this, is if you associate the sort of ordinary business of politics with appointments to the Supreme Court, which they're already, I think, overly identified at this point. It becomes like a major talking yeah. point in every presidential campaign, basically. It's like, oh, who are they going to appoint to the Supreme Court? If we make it on like a rolling basis where a justice gets replaced every few years, typically the, the number I see people talking about is 18 years. So you would basically get a new justice that's a, such a strange term. I think the idea is that it's so that every other year, one of the nine gets replaced. Okay. I assume that's the reason. Huh. But uh, yeah, it's that's a, that's sort of an arbitrary decision anyway. But Yeah, assuming no one ever retires right. or dies. <laughs> and so you'd get it, every time there's a new Congress, you'd also get a new justice. And I think that would just over-identify that even worse than it already has been. Yeah. Where you know, rollovers in Congress go with rollovers in the justice. And it's, I think you would get, you'd practically get judges campaigning on partisan tickets at that point. I don't see a way you wouldn't get that kind of overlap, which I think is just very unhealthy. I think you're right. Yeah. Well, and and some state Supreme courts do do it that way. And their Supreme courts are basically political bodies as a result of that. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we, we have test cases to show you exactly how that goes. It certainly doesn't make them less political, which right. is the ostensible goal of people that want term limit or terms for the Supreme Court, right? You know, they say that the court's gotten too political 
I guess because in recent years, Republicans have appointed too many of them. <laughs> uh, and, and the yeah. way to combat this is to make it an overtly political process. That just makes no sense to me. And not only does it not make any sense, we've got test cases in other states showing that that is not going to work. Yeah. And, you know, I think increasingly you're getting you're getting that for sure. You know, I think that's sort of the mainstream dialogue around all of this is how do we make it less political? But then I think there is another rising faction that says, not only should it be political, we just shouldn't have it because politics should be the only thing that determines. We mentioned that on we the talked last about that before Kangaroo on the show. Court. Yeah, yeah, um, that's that's a good segue into Captain Kangaroo Court because <laughs> um, <laughs> they want us to have a Kangaroo Court yeah. uh, if they're asking us to do that. But really, I think what what imposing terms does is it does not create a less political Supreme Court. Whether it creates a more political Supreme Court, I think it does. But I think that's the less important part of what it does. Rather, what it actually does is it creates a Supreme Court that is subject to political change. Yeah. So change in the political disposition of the public. I think that's a worse thing. Because the one thing you really don't want a court to do is waffle back and forth between opinions. Much better to have it have consistently bad opinions <laughs> than one that's switching its opinions every couple of years. No, yeah. it really is. That's, yeah, no, that's no, no. genuinely true. Because as we, we've talked about this before too, but one of the main values that you hope to have in a legal system is stability. And stability comes right. with predictability. And if precedent is constantly swinging, which it would if you have massive turnover in the court, you'd get new voices all the time, none of whom are going to perfectly align. Yeah, it, it's hard to see a way you keep a stable legal system that way. And we, we are sort of pressed for time, so we probably don't have a lot left to talk about this. But one thing I did want to mention, because this is one, one of the things I've heard several times, is, oh, you know, back when the Supreme Court system was designed with lifetime appointments, people didn't expect judges to last very long because people died younger. There's all kinds of reasons that's stupid. Well, I mean, but, not really. Uh, but yeah, I know. I <laughs> that pe people always forget to factor in infant mortality when they talk about historic... Um, and and a death in childbirth. Yeah, and violent death, it, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. But I decided to... It's, we, we've medical science... What medical science has managed to prevent is a lot of the um, unexpected yeah. death that people would experience. So like death in childbirth, um, death from various medical conditions. Yeah. People that didn't die from some kind of medical condition lived about as long as they do now. Yep. Anyway, I chose to deal with this empirically, though, and I looked up a chart of Supreme Court term lengths I have the top 20 up here. You'll note that nine of the top 20 are from the 1800s. And most of the others are like... This is how long they served on the court? Yeah. Most of the others came or ended rather in the mid 20th century. So yeah, very few of the longest serving justices are from the recent past at all. That's a, a clever to look that up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Nearly wow. half of them were from more than a century ago. So, you Which makes a lot of sense, too, because we, we've pushed the ability to acquire advanced degrees and move up in positions of prominence is something that we've pushed older and older over yeah. the past century. You know, we required more and more qualifications and certifications to get to high-level positions like being a Supreme Court justice. So people are starting the job older. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's uh, granted not exactly transferable, but in my field... There's a famously one of America's great theologians, Jonathan Edwards, graduated from Yale at 14 because he demonstrated sufficient knowledge of Greek, Hebrew and Latin. And that's what it took. It was just, you know, you can show yeah. you've got this, you get a degree. So he did it. 
Um, Good luck doing that nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> you got to jump through all the hoops regardless of what you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyway, just, but I, I, you know, that's another one to keep but in your back that picture, pocket. Make that the, the picture for this podcast episode. We can do episode pictures. Just, we can. Just do that yeah. so people can see the list. Okay. I think it's worth seeing. Yeah. Anyway, so we'll make that that list available. But yeah, it, I thought that it run false and indeed it is false. So yeah anyway. well it's a silly thing to say you know yeah. i don't know why people think that lifespans are so much longer now i mean you look at average life expectancy sure yeah but that's including catastrophic death exactly you know and it's yeah you get stories about people living into their 70s their 80s from thousands of years ago it's not that the natural lifespan has changed it's just that we're better benjamin at, franklin died at 84 yeah we're better at not dying from accidents disease and violence basically <laughs> yeah thomas thomas jefferson i think died at 83 you know people died in their 80s back then yeah if not you know sometimes older than that i think how old was adams i think adams was 90 when he died the same day as thomas jefferson within hours yep, that's right uh, i think he was 90 when he died you know it, it's I'm not just picking the people who lived the longest of the founding fathers. <laughs> I'm picking the ones whose ages at death I happen to know offhand. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so. Anyway. And, you know, it, it's, there's a further irony to me, too, in that, like, one of the things that sort of precipitated this alleged crisis of confidence in the court is that people said, oh, you know, they're not abiding by the, the, this precedent that was set in a recent case. We alluded to this, but there's, there's no better way to guarantee precedent won't last and won't be followed than to have massive yeah. turnover in the court. Like you're just right. all but guaranteeing it. So, yeah, I mean, it's just it's, as a matter of human disposition, the same people are more likely to keep the same opinions right. than different people. Yeah. And, you know, this is all we're sort of circling around the fundamental point. But the fundamental point is you want the justices not to be subject to political pressure. That's the whole point of the institution in the Constitution is yeah. that it's insulated from the tides of political opinion because you're trying to get reasoned, consistent judgments about what is and is not law. Which is very hard to do if there are a lot of people pressuring you. Exactly. Exactly. Anyway, we probably have run too late again. So yeah, we're so going to get... We've only got a couple right. minutes, but we still have time for everybody's favorite section of this podcast. So come around, young and old, boys and girls, people of every age, anyone interested in American law or law across the globe and through the ages, join us for Captain Kangaroo Court. All right. So this is another episode of Captain Kangaroo Court. Yeah. Um, I don't have anything planned for us today, David. Do you have I have some. to look at? I have some things. And to keep it quick and punchy i'll just give you two and the, there's a theme here as it turns out there wasn't going to be a theme but it's attorneys who get into some some trouble and their odd possessions so ah. we're gonna start with a little story about uh i i think you're familiar with tom girardi yeah <laughs> yeah so i am familiar with tom girardi uh he he was recently disbarred but uh you know a fairly well-known attorney from California and you know yeah he was pretty well regarded before it turned out that he was kind of <laughs> siphoning money out of all of his client trust accounts which is yeah. about the worst thing you could do as a lawyer I yeah. mean that's you really got to be careful with those client trust accounts yep I don't know how he got away with that for as long as he did you know if, if that's if most lawyers I know if they did that for a week they'd be caught and disbarred the next week 
Yeah. But he got away with it for decades somehow. That's about the worst thing you can do yeah. as a lawyer, just in all honesty. Well, and, you know, <laughs> it's it's one of those things where, like, if this were about, like, a, a big drug dealer being busted, I think you'd expect a similar story. But, you know, he, he's he was found guilty of embezzlement from of client funds, basically. And among, you know, the things that happens as a result of that, they're auctioning off his stuff to try to raise the money to, to make some of those clients whole. So here are some things that were auctioned off. Yeah, he filed off. for bankruptcy. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Here, here were so some they're, things. they're auctioning off the bankruptcy estate yeah. so that they can pay back the clients to whatever extent they're able. Yeah. So here's some things that he had that were auctioned off. A basketball signed by Michael Jordan. Boxing gloves. I think he represented Michael Jordan, didn't he? Did he? I don't know that story, but... That's interesting, if so. Uh, boxing gloves signed by former professional boxers George Foreman and Joe Frazier. I don't know if you are a boxing fan or anyone in the audience is a boxing fan, but those are big, big, big names uh, in the world of boxing. Oh, yeah. I mean, one of them made that grill that they advertised <laughs> on TV for that, years and years. That's true. He's got to be big. Yeah, and uh, that uh, Hank Hill refused to sell <laughs> because it, uh, yeah, it, was it a, didn't run on propane. It was a novelty <laughs> grill because it didn't run on gas. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Albums signed by singers Kenny Rogers and Christopher Cross, who, you know, I don't know if that's his real name, but it always struck me as ironic if it is his real name, but his name is Chris Cross. But um, hmm. a WrestleMania 2000 towel signed by former professional wrestler Dwayne The Rock Johnson. And this is my hmm. favorite, a holographic Pokemon card featuring Charizard. <laughs> <laughs> I love the way One they phrase that. One of these things that. is not like the others. I, lo- <laughs> I love the way they phrase that, too. Wait, so, uh, featuring so Gerard- Charizard. <laughs> so, so then Tom Girardi collected Pokemon cards, it, evidently. Evidently. Or, you know, bought one for a child that he then took away from them because they displeased him or... You know, I- <laughs> we, we've had other people on this podcast getting in trouble for their, their exploits relating to Pokemon, haven't we? That's true. Yeah, the, the you know those police officers that that didn't respond to a call because they were too busy playing Pokemon catching Pokemon in yep. Pokemon Go. That's right. Um, they, they in fact fled the scene of a crime in order to keep yeah. playing Pokemon Go. <laughs> um, Boy, I guess you really do got to catch them all. Yeah, um, and in this case, you gotta you gotta sell them all too. I guess. Um, yeah. But, all right. So have those been auctioned off yet, David? Uh, yes. So uh, apparently. The- oh, so you're too late for the bankruptcy estate auction. <laughs> so yeah, they, they reported if, that if you were really interested in that Charizard card. I'm afraid you're too late. They Somebody's reported that um, 100% of the items up for auction were sold, and it raised about half a million dollars. Apparently. Um, Usually, 100% is sold because that's the whole point. Yeah. You can generally get pretty good prices on things. You go to bankruptcy auctions. That makes um, sense. You know, my family's practice, uh, Haberbush LLP, is a uh, bankruptcy debtor creditor relation firm. You can't go to these auctions if you're a lawyer on representing any of the parties in one of these bankruptcies. That makes sense. Yeah. That's been a huge disappointment to me <laughs> on many occasions because there's been a lot of stuff that I'd want at these bankruptcy auctions. Seriously, watch bankruptcy auctions. You can get some good stuff. Yeah. Dang. Ethical, really ethical rules from the bar. Um, <laughs> I know, right? I, I have to follow him. I'm like Tom Girardi. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but this put me in mind of another story that I remembered, and this was from more than a decade ago at this point. I think 2008. And you you might remember this as well. But uh, there was a Texas DA who ultimately was convicted, uh, I, I think not just for this, but for other things as well, because uh, I found a story later about him being paroled. But... Well, I'll just read the, the, the header and subhead here. This is from Wired.com. Texas DA on trial for gimmicky computer purchase. 
subheader says, Rockwall County, Texas District Attorney Ray Sumrow, is being tried on charges of forgery, theft, and records tampering after he used state funds to buy a high-end gaming computer. The computer, he claimed, was used as a backup server. <laughs> um, but, and then I go on to say, the presence of large amounts of personal data as well as gamer-specific customizations, including, and then this is, this is the part that really uh, got me, two hard drives, seven fans, <laughs> high-end video and audio cards, wireless internet connection, and cables that glow under ultraviolet light. <laughs> what was this for? He, this was all for his... It, he claimed it was a backup server. <laughs> but it sure but sounds... it sounds like a gaming computer. It, yeah, it sure sounds like a gamer rig to me. <laughs> I don't know. What? Yeah, I mean, I've... Um... I, I've indulged in some gaming in my day, uh-huh. and I, I've built gaming computers myself. And that, honestly, I never go for the, you know the ultraviolet yeah. cables. Yeah, some of it and isn't. That, that, <laughs> that's my favorite part is that some of it isn't even actually about like the performance. It's just yeah, sort of aesthetic it's, stuff, it's RGB stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so he's got like yeah, he's got like the neon glowing cables. Seven fans. That's um, that's aggressive too. <laughs> oh, yeah, cooling is very important in gaming systems. Yeah, you, you yeah. want to have a lot of airflow. Yeah, uh, maybe he was into overclocking. Yeah, no, it, it sure sounds like it. And I'm not sure what percentage of the audience is. Gonna... I bet he pwned a lot of noobs on his backup server. <laughs> I'm not sure how many how many people uh, in the audience are, you know, into that world. But yeah, uh, so he purchased this whole thing on public funds. Then yes. And wow, then, that's yeah. So all that to say, you know, if you're going to embezzle funds, and I I feel like we can safely say you shouldn't, not just on uh, as legal advice. It's not legal advice, technically. Moral advice. Moral well. advice. That's... Yeah, and just sort of general. Don't embezzle people's money. Yeah, general <laughs> life advice, I guess. But if you're going to do it, probably don't just buy conspicuously high ticket items that you keep around. Yeah, well, conservative servers are expensive, so. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, but that's that's not a server. <laughs> Gaming hardware is very different from server hardware. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that that's that's all I've got for this week. All right, folks. So hopefully you all enjoyed this week's foray into the always interesting and always wacky world of Captain Kangaroo Court. Please join us again next week and see you folks all again then. But yeah, that's it's been a presentation, of Captain Kangaroo Court. Yep, and that'll do it for this episode. So as always, thank you for listening, and we hope that you'll listen again. Yeah. Thank you very much. See ya.